Welcome to Tuning Fork. It's a podcast about music and the Pitchfork Media hype machine. Uh, I'm David. I'm Matt. Hey, Matt. How's it going? Ah, pretty decent. You know when you just, like, work overtime for a whole week, (laughs) and then your body doesn't know what it's doing when it wakes up? And then you get up and record a podcast. And then I get up and record a podcast. I actually, um, I listened to this week's selection on my walk home from work yesterday, and it was uh, minus 30 Celsius out. And and the weight of the album just made it that uh, much more difficult to trudge through the snowy tundra. No, quite the opposite. I actually just like, you know, that video of uh, Vegeta going super sane in the rain while Phil Collins plays in the background. Yes, yes, I do. That was me. Um, Matt, we've we've known each other for almost 13 years now. Mm, um, that's a fake so amount of time. That's a thing. Um, but why did I why did I invite you to host this show with me? Because we both were heavy pitchfork readers. Basically, from 2007 to what? What do we want to call the end of the era? Like 2011. Yeah, I, like, for me, it went even further. Maybe to like 2013. I was still actively yeah. checking. I was still checking, but I don't think I was like putting as much stock into it and like downloading everything I don't have on their year-end lists. Right, right. But right. I feel like that was like the peak of their of their like media relevance. Yeah, their their peak cultural cachet. Um, so, so Pitchfork Media uh, was started as just a you know normal music criticism site uh, by this guy um, named Ryan, I believe. Ryan Schreiber. Yeah, Ryan Schreiber. Um, in the mid nineties. <clears throat> in the mid nineties. Wow. It's yeah. They, well, I, I think time. I think it started as a like a kind of campus based mini review thing before he actually put it online, but. Don't fact check me. And uh, starting, I want to say, around 2004, 2005, um, it started being an incredibly popular music criticism site. And I think, yeah, I feel like the, the big the, the big time for them was when they uh, they boosted the first Broken Social Scene album. Like, oh, that sure, was, yeah. That was one of their, like big tastemaker moments so that would have been you forgotten people 2002 and that that tracks for me yeah, i mean yeah. like people people had definitely seen the kid a review but like a lot of people liked radiohead so that wasn't a tastemaker moment at all yeah everyone had listened to okay computer already by that point yeah exactly um the kid a review which yes we will be getting to <laughs> yeah i'm i'm looking forward to finding out who wants to be on to talk about kid a um it's gonna be good (laughs) so they came up with this designation best new music um which they would give out uh to albums that they felt i guess were like really culturally like cultural touchstones i guess you could say um and without fail anytime they did this uh in this era that artist would immediately see like whoa, like, my career is suddenly taking off, I'm booking TV appearances, my yeah. my venues now have to be a lot bigger, um, and they yeah, also like- <laughs> were incredibly uh, powerful in the sense of ruining people's careers with low yep. scores. 
So, like, the idea for this podcast is basically going with those two extremes. We got the best new musics, and then we got the uh, the huge critical pans. Right, right. Because those are the those are the most important things that Pitchfork was putting out. I know for the for the positive bump, one of the one of the big notes was uh, when Tune Yards Who Kill came out in 2011. Uh, Meryl Garbus said that her booking fees that she was able to get went up like ten times. Jesus, like a full tenfold increase in the amount of money she was able to get to book a show. Yeah, and I I saw I had seen her previously um, opening for Islands with her old band Sister Suvi. God, Sister Suvi is good as hell. They they were really good, and uh, I was like, who is this like? this wild person with a ukulele and how can I hear more of her stuff? And I looked up tune yards and I downloaded bird brains and it was good. And then who kill came out and I saw the review and I'm like, well, clearly I have to listen to this now. Yeah. Who kill is such a good album that I accidentally have purchased it two separate times on vinyl, (laughs) just forgetting that I already had it. And I'm like, Oh, this is good. I have to get this. Right. Um, shall we introduce our guest and our album for this week? Absolutely. Uh, so our guest for this week is friend of the show, Stephanie from City Girls Make Do. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, guys. What's (laughs) up? Happy to be joining you, uh, especially for this album, which I love a lot. Which album are we talking about? We are talking about the one and only Age of Odds by Sufjan Stevens today. Hell yeah, baby! And this is course, the Age of Odds Eternal Living! It sure is, and, and of course, you know, this is the best new music. Uh, Wait, hold on. I, I, have, I, have to, I have to give uh, an extra flair to that, just... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> of course you do. Um, and, I mean, I guess I should say how I know you guys, too. Like, I mean, I've, I've known you guys just as long, because we know each other from the same corner of the internet since, like, 2006. So yeah, yeah, we've got years our now? we've got our forum anniversary coming up in just a couple days here. Yeah, we sure the do. Lemon Demon Forum. We uh-huh. all know each other because of Neil Cisariga. Neil Cisariga is made this podcast. I wonder yeah, if we can fault. get him on at some point. That would be God, that incredible. Would be that would be really good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but like, okay, so despite that, I never went through a you know a pitchfork phase. I mean, I listen to music, but. <laughs> I never, I never, you know, religiously read them or anything, and so that part of this podcast is kind of a blind spot to me. However, yeah. you know, uh, I have a lot to say about this album, though. So uh, yeah, let's and, let's and, talk about Sufjan Stevens and how uh, how I'd he kind of fits into this whole thing. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because, right. like, of course, you were talking about you know like tastemakers, and I mean, so Sufjan was already big before this it's not like this album coming out is like what made his career or anything he Um, did get a couple of best new musics before this i feel like i'm sure he i'm sure illinois got best new music and yeah illinois got best new music and uh i'm pretty sure michigan did too yeah i'm trying to i'm trying to i'm trying to navigate the website but like pitchfork's navigation has been (sighs) so bad since condé nast bought them it's (laughs) inscrutable it's not great, yeah. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, this album came out in 2010, and uh, yeah, at this point he'd already put out several albums, but this was like a huge departure, so I mean, before this he was largely just, you know, religious boy with soft voice and banjo, uh, 
hurt me so good with your tiny voice. <laughs> was, was, <laughs> that was specifically a Bandcamp comment written by uh, my friend Anna as she bought uh, All Delighted People on Bandcamp. Wow. That that's that's why that quote is particularly good because I know the person who wrote it. <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad good. we have a connection to that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so um, Michigan in 2003 had best new music. Uh, Seven Swans in 2004 had best new music. Illinois in 2005 had best new music, and Age of Odds had best new music. Oh wow! I always forget that Seven. I always forget that Seven Swans came out after Michigan. Because that doesn't seem right to me. I know. I always think it was like his first album after, uh, you know. Enjoy Your Rabbit. Enjoy Your Rabbit and uh, A Sun Came. So Yeah. um, But yeah, so so this is his, technically it's his sixth studio album. Yeah. Um, I kind of would like to debate that because, I mean, okay, so All Delighted People came out, it came out 53 days before this. Like, it came out the same year, like August, when this came out in October. Um, and All Delighted People is technically an EP, but it's like, I mean, I own it on vinyl and it's like two full records. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> it's long. It's an, it's an EP in the same sense that like Autecker EPs are EPs <laughs> and mm-hmm. that it's like, he, it's essentially just termed an EP so that it is not considered a studio album. That's literally the yeah. only thing. Yeah. Yeah, Autecker with their 248-minute EPs. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And I thought Age of Odds was long, and it's like 75 minutes long, but that's, that's a little bit pushing it. It's, a, it's, at least, it's at least under a one CD length. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, true. And after this album came out and got really popular... Um, he did do a really great, uh, television appearance on, uh, was it still Late Night with Jimmy Fallon? I believe so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he performed the song Too Much, and, uh, the, the presentation that he put on for this performance, uh, was really great. I never saw Sufjan, um, live or anything, um, when this, uh... When this album came out, oh but man, he was so I fucking good on that show. The live show was similar to this. It was bonkers. <sighs> I'm so um, jealous. <laughs> see, like Stephanie, you're you're like a relatively recent convert to Sufjan, right? Yeah, I was gonna say, like, I mean, I had heard, I heard Illinois several years ago, and I was like, this is good, but he just has, he has so much music to. I mean, it's not even that big of a discography, but like for me, it's a big discography. And so I didn't really want to put in the effort to get into him. And then in like 2015, I want to say, 2015 maybe, I listened to Carrie and Lowell for the first time and like I instantly fell in love with it Mm -hmm. and was like, okay, now I'm going to go back and get into his other music. And ever since then, it's been like... I've listened to him all Sufjan all so the much. time. Yeah, all Sufjan all the time. Yeah, like uh, now he's probably like the biggest chunk of my vinyl collection at this point. Um, he has I mean, a lot Age of it. Is the thing he does have a lot of it, and uh, so I was also going to say Age of Odds and All Delighted People were the first thing were the first records I ever bought. I bought them at the same time because I couldn't decide which one I liked more, so <laughs> uh, I bought them both. But yeah, I I'm pretty newly converted to Sufjan, so. Because one thing that I noticed a lot around when uh, when Age of Odds came out is that while it did get like very good critical reception pretty much across the board, a lot of fans really were not on board with it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this was his Bob Dylan goes electric moment. Yeah, because <laughs> one, like the there's the electronics on the album, which like anyone who didn't listen to Enjoy Your Rabbit wouldn't have been very familiar with. Um, there's the fact that there's auto tune on some of the songs. There's the fact that there's like programmed drums and synths on it when he's typically stuck mostly with acoustic instruments and mm-hmm. and brass, obviously. Um, and then there's also just the the more personal perspective, I think, threw a lot of people off because they're more used to Sufjan writing an allegory, where in this album, he has songs where he names himself. Right, he very yeah. much does. I was so like if you like, if you came in if you came in from Carrie and Lowell, this won't be that big of a shock to you. Yeah, Carrie and Lowell is like the most inward looking album ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay. So the first time I listened to Age of Odds, I I didn't dislike it, but I, I was definitely kind of on the side of like, I think this needs to grow on me because it was a very different sound. Like, obviously, I mean, it's personal, like Carrie and Lowell, but it's very like the sound is quite different, obviously. Yeah. And I don't normally listen to very electronic music, and uh, it's a lot going on at once, and I think. Another thing is like, so he, his lyrics have always been super intimate and personal, but this is much more kind of stream of consciousness personal yeah. than like allegory, like you said. Um, and it's a lot of people this when this album, album a lot of people when this album, this album came as out. a fan of, uh, Animal Collective. Yeah. And so, um, it, this it was the first Sufjan Stevens album that like, that I was really into. Yeah. Uh, like, I had listened to Illinois already, and I was like, yeah, it's all right, I guess. So I remember you telling Nathan that you really couldn't get into it. It's yeah. because you're like, not like, gay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that explains everything. Yeah, and, well, although I've got to say, like, as speaking as a queer person, like, I I think Age of Odds is probably his gayest album, in my opinion, but... Um, <laughs> I mean, the only thing that comes as close is, like... Just like the predatory wasp of the Palisades. Yeah, no, of course. Uh, that's, that's the only one that has vibes as strong as this whole album has. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, when we get to All For Myself on this album, like, I'll save it for later. But Jesus Christ, that song yeah. is fucking gay and I love it so much. It's such a it's such a powerful song. One of the big comparisons that came out around this album was, funnily enough, like, Sufjan Stevens got compared a lot to Kanye West this year. <laughs> Interesting. Um, just because this was the year that um, my beautiful dark twisted fantasy came out, and oh yeah, and so that's the one that has Kanye West going on these long auto tune rants on the song "Runaway," which mm-hmm. was like extremely comparable to the auto tune section of um, of Impossible Soul, and also mm-hmm. just like these artistic statements moving, just like big, big changes. And then having a lot of people come in to work on it with him and this like big statement after a couple of years not having released anything. It's they were very comparable at the time, amazingly. And of course, they were both Pitchfork Darlings the year they came out. Oh, after this album, uh, Sufjan got extremely buff. Yes, very buff. (laughs) Um, yeah, because he was not buff during this album. Um, before we started recording, I was talking to David about how, uh, so I have the record out in front of me and just like, I'm looking at the inner art on like the sleeve and 
I mean, all the art, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about it after. All the art is from the same artist, Royal Robertson, but then there's one part of the album on the inside that's just a picture of Sufjan with rolled up sleeves, and he's not buff yet, and he's got, like, a hat on. And it's just, it's, it's in such contrast to all the art that's on the rest of the album. Uh, he, but, he, yeah. got, he got buff from carrying the weight of all of our sims. He got buff from <laughs> carrying the weight of his mother's death, probably, I'm guessing, but... Uh, yeah. <laughs> Those are the three things that I know about Sufjan other than his music. Hats, spirituality, buff. Plus he's from Michigan. Uh, I mean, you also just have to pop a molly, get jolly, New Yorkers but a dream to us now. <laughs> oh, of course. Um, Does he still update his Tumblr? Every know. once in a while Maybe. he does, and it's, you know, it's always something, something, the world is abundant, and it's incredibly pure, and I love it. Um, I guess one other thing that I should say before we talk about the review is... Um, so, of course, maybe we should talk about the 50 States Project and how that was absolutely just, like, obviously he never meant to do that, but he put out Illinois and then there was a gap and then he put out this album. And obviously this is not a 50 States album, uh, but like, I guess the idea was he was originally going to do an album for all the states, but it was really just a promotional gimmick. And this, this kind of... <laughs> This is, I guess, his least 50 states type album, because I would argue that Carrie and Lowell could almost even be considered like an Oregon album, and yeah. Huey could even be like a New York album. Uh, <laughs> but He could have gone the John Linnell route and just, you know, had an album full of songs for each state. That'd be good. I would love to see him put out another 50 states album just kind of out of nowhere, but... Uh, he has to be chasing his bliss, and I don't think that, like, particular artistic dragon is something he feels like going after anymore. Yeah, no, for sure. I don't really know what he feels like going after, because he hasn't really put out anything in... Like, Carrie and Lowell was, what, 20... Uh, 15. 2015. Yeah, four years. So, okay, so no, I was... It was even longer than that when I got into Sufjan, because Carrie and Lowell had already been out for, like, at least a couple years then, so... Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's get into uh, the Pitchfork review. Yes. All right. Let's get into the review. 8.4. Yeah, 8.4. Best new music. Uh, it was written by Ryan Dumball, who is the senior, who is a senior editor at Pitchfork. Yeah. Um, he wrote a lot of reviews for him. Uh-huh. Yeah. He, he recently a- gave best new music to uh, American Dream by LCD Sound System and a couple of other things. Um, yeah. And this the- is listed as a folk country album on uh on pitchfork (laughs) they probably have those uh those genre tags to yeah tied to the artist yeah that That makes makes sense sense. Uh uh-huh but i mean i mean okay so even before age of odds like this is after it so he's only put out planetarium and carrie and little since then but uh and neither of those are very like electronic sounding. But even before no. this, he did have two albums that sounded fairly different from his acoustic normal stuff. So, uh, but okay, folk country, sure. <laughs> sure, why not? The The day that this came out was the day that I saw Sufjan Stevens play in Toronto. Wow. And I remember and it, the, al- the album had leaked a couple days before, so I was literally listening to it on my train ride over to the oh city. Oh my God. It came out like two days after your birthday. So. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, it was a busy week. I also saw was. Dan Deacon the next day. God, I, I do remember like religiously checking the site. Has it leaked? <laughs> for Age of Eyes in this in this, uh, in this period of time, just for anything that I knew was going to be yeah. coming out soon. 
God. And there must have been so much hype, especially since Age, uh, not Age of Outlaws, especially since uh, All Delighted People had come out like 50 days before this, basically. And yeah. All Delighted People rules. I mean, it's underrated. I think people don't love it as much as they should, because I personally think it's amazing. Yeah, it only got a 7.6 from Pitchfork, which I, it's which still is, a good score. Let's not like split on that, but like it didn't get best yeah. music. But I mean, the song All Delighted People is, in my opinion, the best thing period Sufjan has ever put out so I'm like hmm I don't know I disagree but uh, <laughs> but again the, like I said I'm gay I can't help it <laughs> the review says this time instead of painstakingly humanizing the locations historical inhabitants and trivia of a certain slab of America obviously referring to Illinois and Michigan there he's mm-hmm. more concerned with his own state of mind yep Mm-hmm. Banjos are out. Moody electronics, deep bass, and drums that burst like geysers are in. It's really I, I, good. I do love pitchfork similes. They're really good. They're really good. They're, they're, they're also... sim- their similes are like throwing a burrito at a windshield. <laughs> <laughs> I also like that they say he's whispering less, hollering more. <laughs> Which is, oh god, that's what makes this album so good. The hollering. Ugh. There's I whispering love, too, but yeah. one of my favorite pitchfork things that they do is where they're like just doing a sentence about the music, but they have to like put pieces of biography in the same sentence. So it's just <laughs> yet there is no mistaking this as a work by, and this would be a spot where you'd say Sufjan Stevens if you were a normal person. Uh, but they say <laughs> by the Detroit-born Brooklyn-dwelling overachiever, and it's just such a clunky sentence. Yeah, it really <laughs> is. God. They, they do get into uh, the Royal Robertson uh, artist who uh, designed the album art here um, right in the middle of the review. And they do the biographical thing here as well, uh, where they talk about, you know, how this guy um, created this art as a way of coping with his own, uh, I guess you could say misogyny, but also his own feelings uh, about his wife leaving him after nearly 20 years of marriage. Yeah, and also mm-hmm. his severe mental illness. Yes. Which is, is definitely something that Sufjan is coping with on this album as well. Yeah. I uh, mean, there is a track he, called yeah. I Want to Be Well. <laughs> True. I mean, he's coping with some with some serious mental illness stuff on this album, but I'd say it's probably somewhat different than uh, than this particular artist. Oh, uh, yes, absolutely. But but I can still see why it's relatable and and like themes from this guy's art show up throughout the album constantly, like whether it's in the things he actually says or just like the sounds of the music cuz this guy is like super into apocalyptic sci-fi type stuff, yeah. like spaceships and just it's incredibly it's incredibly violent for, you know, what you'd think Sufjan would typically be kind of into because he's, he's of course, like our sweet baby boy who could never do anything wrong. Yeah. And this artist is, I mean, I was reading his Wikipedia page and he's a self, self-proclaimed prophet. He, yeah. he's uh, apparently fairly like misogynistic and violent and, uh, it's, it's a shrimp interesting choice. Yeah. Yeah. Crab, absolutely. Crab, absolutely. Crab, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> The original piece that they used, that Sufjan used for this um, album cover, sold on eBay for $3,500 after it had been sitting in this guy's uh, Mm -hmm. house for, I guess, 30 years at that point. Just, you know, being weathered and exposed to the elements. God. 
That's pretty incredible. And if you own the if you own the album, you can see some of the other art that he's done. Like uh, all of the sleeves for the records have uh, this guy's art on them, and there's like spaceships. One of them has a volcano, which I guess you know you know Vesuvius. Uh, one of them has like this alien type thing with eyes all over its chest, and it's a uh, it's very intense, but it's all very very cool art. Let's get into uh, let's get into the album. Yeah, we can get into that. So, first track is Futile Devices. It's been a long, long time since I've memorized your face. It's been four hours now since I've wandered through your place. And when I sleep on your couch, I feel very safe. And when you bring the this is an uh, an interesting choice for the first song on the album to me. Like, it's a very good song. It's very it's, beautiful. It's, it's very lulling you into a false sense of security that this is going to be a normal <laughs> Sufjan album. Yes. Right. It's, it's much more the style that people had come to expect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very acoustic, very intimate and tender. Uh, I mean, it's it's clearly like a love song, but, you know, I mean, not a happy love song or anything, no. uh, but very beautiful. And, I mean, words really are futile devices. He was right when he said that. It's it's interesting that he ends up bookending the album with acoustic pieces, because that's how Impossible yes. Soul ends as well. Yeah, they yeah it's almost that like in the, the middle of the album is like a transformation into this whole different persona for him. Yeah, absolutely. It's that one. It's that one gif of Eric Wareheim uh, with the the head exploding. Yeah, just going. <laughs> <laughs> like that's yeah. what that's what that's what the immediate bringing in of the second track is, and it just kind of keeps going. Yeah, yeah. and I want to say too. So to kind of contrast the kind of pretentiousness of the Pitchfork review, uh, I want to bring up one of our friends listened to this album recently, like two months ago for the first time, and was like <laughs> had some very very funny takes on it. And so I did like save a couple of them to bring up. But he did say that he pretty much missed this song because he he like was like, oh, I didn't even hear it playing. <laughs> <laughs> and then after the song ends and we get into too much, he said, "Age of Odds starts out as if." Bambi fell into Tron. <laughs> <laughs> I, can we do this for every album, David? Can we get Colin to listen to the album and just say stuff into a chat so we could just save the bits of it? Uh, I'll write that down as an idea. Yeah, uh, it's, the, it's the Colin corner. Yeah, because there's not a whole lot to say, but uh, it's we just can come it's up a with very a good music for that section. A very good contrast. It's I have some a, really good outtakes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but I mean, this song is pretty much like the the whole album is largely kind of like a, I don't know if I'd say like a breakup story, but it's very, you know, like, I'm leaving you and I feel so much guilt, but you've treated me like shit. It's, it's a very unhealthy relationship. And this mm-hmm. is really a, like a song that's like, you know, I love you, but uh, I'm not going to say it and I'm not going to stay long. And uh, then we get into the rest of the album. And so much of this album is about his like intense insecurities about everything about himself which i guess is a good lead into the next song too much because that song is very much about you know i mean isn't that everyone's biggest insecurity in a relationship like am i too much Ready? 
too or like much, am- too much, too much love. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I do love the song too much. It's in a non-standard time signature, which was something I really got into in the uh, Pitch 4K day. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, Battles was around. <laughs> I think it's in 7-8 time. Yeah, mm. that tracks. Interesting. I was going to say, so I love this song. It's a really good song, um, especially when you actually listen to lyrics and you're like, wow, this is so relatable because, uh, yeah, same hat. But he, uh, I was going to say this is probably one of my bottom three songs on the album. I mean, the thing is, I love the album so much that it's still a great song. But Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, mm-hmm. I like the way the beat evolves. It starts as like this weird like synth spluttering at the start and just kind of keeps gaining percussion as it goes on. Yes. And, and there's a trombone break in the middle. I love that. <laughs> I love everything <laughs> that has horns in it. <laughs> That's what makes music great to me. Um, yeah. And I'm really glad he still has like a good set of backup singers on this one. Oh, true. Because like yeah, one, and- one big Sufjan thing is just always having amazing, uh, amazing female vocal features. Yes. Like that, that, was, and- that was true in both Illinois and this album. Mm-hmm, for sure. And yeah, I definitely noticed that when I, because uh, right before we recorded, I watched that Jimmy Fallon performance that he did. And he just has like, I mean, it's it's not it's not just him. It's, you know, this huge stage setup of his background singers and everything. And it's just mm-hmm. such a performance. It's amazing. I think he had, I think he had three singers with him when I saw him live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's not a lot of lyrics in this song as compared to the rest of these. It's, it's kind of sparse. There's two verses and then there's the repeated hook, um, and then Too the much. outro is mostly instru- is mostly instrumental. Yeah, come I on, think he just realized he realized that the hook fucking slapped, so he just kept saying it. It really yes. did. Although, I mean, I guess we could probably say he's kind of ripping off Neil Cesarita here with the Too Much song, but um. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, is a reference that no one's gonna get. No one's listened to that song. <laughs> I don't care. It's just us. It's, it's irrelevant yeah. to us. So. Yeah. And just the three of us know what that song is actually about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the the um, outro sounds to me a little bit like, almost like a theatrical score, like a John Williams style theatrical score. Like there's this sweeping orchestral sound to it. Yeah. And then yeah. The, he'd kinda, he kind of builds little electronic flourishes into it as well. Yeah. Like the the he, electronic flourishes almost seem like they're like the conductor moving the the piece around. That's how yeah, I feel he, when he I'm listening to this He finally got a synth and figured out how it worked. <laughs> God, I wish that were me. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just keep buying synths that I don't know how to use because they look cool. Uh, valid. I mean, me with my digital piano. Like I I mean, technically I do know how to play it, but I mean, <laughs> not well. <laughs> so let's move on to Age of Odds. Now we're in title track territory. To me, this is where the album really starts. Like, whenever I picture this album and I think about how it starts, I don't think of the... Like, I don't think of Feudal Devices. I think of Age of Odds starting with the... That that <laughs> yeah. just plays in my brain. Um, 
And it okay, really I'm, sounds like harrowing and serious. Like okay, oh. this is this is where it's really getting started. Yeah. This is where shit gets real. And okay, I'll also read the Colin comment, which is, why am I listening to this cooing chorus of industrial noise overlaid by a soft man's emotions? <laughs> 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 which it really, I mean, that's true. Like it's, it's this very, it's like this cacophony. And then when he gets to the chorus, it's, it's just, you know, his whispering voice and it's very quiet. And this song slaps so hard to me. This is one of my top, like this is, this is one of my top three songs on the album. Absolutely. I love like the, the- the, like the bass synths being used as percussion on the verses, mm-hmm. like the bum 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 bum. It's yeah. like such a it's such a good like driving force of the song, considering how like he's how so, like he's he's singing pretty pretty prettily for the sounds that are behind him, but it really works. The contrast yeah. really works. It absolutely yeah, and the works. The lyrical content is really like um, almost the opposite of his his output at the time mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. when the the whole line about when it dies it rots uh as opposed to like the whole spiritual idea of when you die you there's the there's the afterlife mm-hmm. absolutely and oh it rots just kind of repeats throughout the entire song and it's just it's it's so good and so sufiana said this song is about love in the apocalypse which i think you can really hear because like i mean that's kind of to me the vocal is contrasting with the actual music like uh it it's a love song but it's very very different from any standard love song and mm-hmm. this also kind of very reminds me of uh all delighted people which is i mean it's such a different song but it's specifically listed on the asthmatic kitty website as like an homage to the apocalypse existential ennui and uh, paul simon's sound of silence <laughs> Yeah, uh, I can, I can of, see yeah. these. I can see these coming out of a very similar creative well. Exactly. In that, when I try to recall what one of them sounds like, I'll often think of the other one first. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Especially like the, their choruses have a lot of similarity with them. Yeah. They Wait, do. the sound of silence isn't by Disturbed. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's your dad. Think- it's your dad's favorite cover. Yeah. It's everyone's dad's <laughs> favorite cover. Yeah. God. The um. This is a, probably one of the main songs that really, really sparks that inspiration from the Royal Robertson art, too, I think, because it's very apocalyptic. Mm-hmm. It's very just so much happening at once. Uh, it's it's really amazing. All right, let's talk about I Walked. I walked I mean, me too. I also walked. You did. You were walking home when you listened to this. Yeah. <laughs> the the intro. Was- the intro of this song reminds me of like um, early two thousands Depeche Mode. Um, they have an album Exciter, which was uh, like them uh, getting more like ambient, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And they used a lot of these like really kind of uh, simple analog drum sounds. Well, we, ha- we we filled our Depeche Mode reference quota for this episode, so there's a <laughs> ding, we got one. 
We got one. Oh, you get damn one. It. I, I have an, I have another one later in the album, so I'll, I guess <laughs> oh, I'll good. cut that out. I can't wait. So then you're you're set for next next episode too. Yeah. Uh, this song just uh, like it's it's a really good song, but God, I listen to it and I'm just like, who hurt you? I I just I really want to meet whoever hurt you and beat them up. Like I just he could beat them up himself though. I know, but he he's wouldn't. So That's buff. the thing. That's the thing about Sufjan is he's so powerful and so buff, but he would never beat someone up. Like no, I want to hurt the person who hurt him. He would violently play his banjo at them. He could do that, but I mean, it's a it's a heartbreaking song. I find like when you actually listen to the words, like it's just he's already he's left. That's what the song is about. It's like, I walked, he walked away from this relationship mm-hmm. and he feels this guilt over it because he knows he's been treated like shit. But at the same time, he's like, you know, you know, you have to do what's best for yourself. And he, he says, I should not be so lost, but I've got nothing left to love. And I'm like, boy, I love you so much. And he gets the very last verse. He gets a very, uh, uh, I don't know. He gets a weird with it. He says, like, I was wild with the breast of a dog. And he says he has a knife in his chest. And I'm like, boy, I feel like when we get to impossible soul, I'm like, boy, you are getting very dramatic about the way you're describing <laughs> this. But, uh, but I get There's it. There's a lot of vocal <laughs> layering in this song, which I really like. It, mm-hmm. it, I'm not sure. Is it all him? Doing all of the background vocals, like in the falsetto? I'm not sure about this one. That's a good question. I I know he has a lot of women background vocals, but I'm not sure on this song particular. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it kind of makes me think of... I know that this is a trope, but it does kind of make me think of Enya. Because Mm. that's like her whole thing (laughs) that that she and her producer came up with. Uh, Now that I'm older... So Colin says, now that I'm older is what it sounds like to be haunted by Sufjan Stevens' ghosts. Yes, 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 yes. Mm-hmm. That's actually pretty pretty close to what I it's wrote in- down. It's incredibly accurate. And okay, so the Pitchfork review in particular like mentioned the vocals of this song and how this is like the best vocal arrangement on the album. And and they're right. It's They should say it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A masterclass yeah, in modern vocal arrangement. I would have loved to have been in the recording studio when he was laying down all the woes. Oh, same. It's it's beautiful lyrically. This is a very soft song. Um, mm-hmm. I gotta say, for the longest time, because like I I have really garbage hearing. For the longest time, I thought he was saying, uh, "Now that I'm older, Soviet soldier of love." He's saying "So be it, so of love," and I was like, "That's interesting that he would mention Soviet soldiers in this song." <laughs> I read the lyrics and I was like, "Oh, that's not what he's saying at all." But, I mean, maybe yeah. it is. Maybe maybe Sufjan Stevens is a secret communist. Oh, so Sufjan. The if the only. arrangement of the of the pianos on this song reminds me of um, the album Yellow House by Grizzly Bear. Oh yeah, I could see that for sure. Because they do that like like distance ambient 
haunting sound like it's a much it's a piano that that's album. it's a piano that's two rooms away yeah yeah <laughs> true uh and okay i had one other thing to say about it which david feel free to edit this out if you want but like i wrote down uh it's so it's largely about a, a past relationship when you're young dumb young dumb and full of cum and you made a lot of silly decisions <laughs> you know like you're reflecting back on that age where <laughs> you're older now and you're like wow i i wasn't so wise back then <laughs> Maybe the sound is actually him being haunted by that younger self. Uh, that's dumb and full of cum, yeah. Yeah. Possibly. Sufjan Stevens haunted by cum. That's going in the podcast. Wow, I'm so happy that, wow, first episode and we've got you saying cum, it's good. <laughs> I mean, it's not a podcast with me on it if the word cum hasn't been said yet, even though I wasn't the first person to say it for once. That's actually and a really good point. All, we've also got the slide whistle already, so that's laid down. <laughs> Oh, it's perfect. And that's the that's the uh, first time I've used my new slide whistle that I got for Christmas. Aw. Yay. It's all very <laughs> exciting. Let's get real, get right. is uh, a lot you know he's talking about spaceships he talks about a prophet uh you know this is another one that's pretty heavily inspired by the the royal robertson art yeah. i think i mean there's obvious religious influences too but like i mean because the song is kind of about getting right with the lord but it's very there's so much going on music like, instrumentally on this yeah. song um yeah there's hardly any build-up at all before he starts singing here Yes. There's like maybe two seconds of intro. Mm-hmm. The thing with the thing with uh, any kind of like spaceship prophet kind of stuff is that like even though obviously Royal Robertson is a big inspiration for all of it, the first thing that comes to mind for me is always going to be Sun Ra, and I really like you kind of feel his like the the influence of Sun Ra orchestra stuff on this album as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, definitely. Because like, Royal Royal Robertson wasn't a musician. Sun Ra is a musician. Yeah, I and you can really fun. really start to get into. I I would love to see mm-hmm. um, Sufjan Stevens perform with Sun Ra Orchestra. Like that oh, would be God. good as hell. I very Absolutely. thought you were gonna say uh, like the very first track off of Illinois about you know concerning the UFO sighting. Uh, yeah, true, true. <laughs> the Revenant three stars, and uh, <laughs> yeah, he because you know this isn't the first time he's talked about UFOs before. Yeah, uh, but no, I, I, the, meant, I, yeah. I meant particularly the, musically how uh, how yes. this album sounds really yes. reminds me. Like yeah, obviously Sunrise Sunrise more jazzy, but. This mm-hmm. is, yeah, there's uh, there's lots of like swoopy clarinets in this song specifically, mm-hmm. and it reminded me of listening to um, the album Heartland by Owen Pallet for the first time. Mm. Heartland, which is getting a narrative sequel this year, and I'm so fucking pumped for it. Oh, nice! Oh, I ha- I hadn't heard that. That's awesome. I'm so excited. One of the mm-hmm. one of the tracks on it is called uh, "Lewis Gets Fucked Into Space." <laughs> <laughs> Good. I love Owen Pallet so much. Oh wow! Yeah, I'm gonna uh, have to. I'm gonna have to see those songs live. I think. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. A lot of late 2000s albums that got Pitchfork Best New Music had kind of this orchestral instrumentation 
that mm-hmm. not a lot of popular music at the time had. Um, I guess you could call it Baroque pop, I've heard. Um, yeah, it's basically, it. it's a lot of stuff that Nico Muley worked on is is yeah. a lot of it, which mm-hmm. Nico Muley has worked with Sufjan Stevens, he's worked with Grizzly Bear, and he's worked with Owen Pallet, all people we've mentioned so far in this episode. And then there was Arcade <laughs> Fire, obviously, and Polyphonic Spree, yeah. and it was just all over the place. And Pitchfork just ate ate the shit up. Yeah, Pitchfork was I like that's kind of I feel like it was a tastemaker thing for them because they were like the hardest booster of that kind of stuff. Yes, mm-hmm. did they tour with all those instruments? Um, like did Sufjan have like a clarinet section backing mm, him up? I think he just had like a smallish brass section. Okay. Like there was mm-hmm. a couple of things that the tour, like if it was like doing the full instrumentation of the album, could have used. Like there was no strings on the tour, which would have been really good. Yeah. But obviously it's very hard to tour with that kind of thing. Yeah. Like that's the, I mean, that's the kind of thing mm-hmm. if you're doing a tour, you're like you're playing with a local orchestra that you just send the sheet music to. Yeah. Right. Dan Deacon had his album Bromst, uh, which was his follow-up to his breakout album, Spider-Man of the Rings. And mm-hmm. I saw the ensemble performance that uh they did for that album. Um, and they came to this local bar in Minneapolis called the Triple Rock, which has closed since. Yeah. But it was this tiny stage, and they fit like twelve people up there. Yeah. God. See, when I saw when I saw Sufjan, it was at um, Massey Hall, which is like one of the larger venues in Toronto. Like it's like a full mm-hmm. orchestra concert hall. Mm-hmm. Wow. So God, like that's that's a there. big venue. <laughs> yeah. Did they fill the yeah. place? Oh yeah, it was sold oh, out. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I if you're not he, touring with, like, yeah. like you said, he was pretty big already before. Yeah, this well, album it was like came me, out. me and Matt yeah. bought tickets late, and we got section, we got seats in completely different sections, and there was like <laughs> he he had a seat behind a pillar. Worth like, it. That's so, that's, that's yeah. how late that's how late we got our tickets. I feel like the only thing about seeing Sufjan and Massey Hall for this album in particular is like, how can you listen to this album without wanting to dance? At like, yeah, right. For like half the songs, and Massey Hall is like seated, and uh, I mean, you can get up, I guess. But people in the lower section still. were getting up, but like we were in the we were in the upper balcony seats, so yeah. there was there was not much standing and dancing. Mm-hmm. Sit down, you're ruining the show. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Dave. <laughs> um, let's talk about bad communication. Yep. a short one it's a yeah, short one and i often if i'm just listening to the album as one set will completely forget it's there it's yeah. just kinda, i wash right yeah. over this one this one i i have a hard time picturing what it sounds like if i am not like listening to it um it's this got is, this synth loop in it that's like yeah it's a fine song but it's my least favorite song on the album not to be negative about about the album but like this is my least favorite song i think it's the weakest one it's it's a fine song but it's very forgettable compared I mean, to a lot he of knows the other exactly songs. how long it needed to be yes yeah. that's a good point it's yeah two minutes so. and 24 seconds which like perfect that's a good it length. doesn't overstay its welcome it's like yeah. the length of a long they might be giant song <laughs> 
true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's I don't really have much to say. It's very full of ahs and oohs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I mean, it, a lot of the song titles are nice because you get a very good gist of what they're about just from the title. It's pretty much just about bad communication in your yeah. relationship. Th- this is very, <laughs> very unlike Illinois song titles. Yes, very yeah. extremely. Um, like that, that I communi- mentioned that in the review yeah. um, for this album yeah. about how in Illinois, the longest song title was 53 words. And the same <laughs> superlative goes to a tune called I Want to Be Well, which is five words. Yeah, if you're going oh, by God. sheer number of letters, it's bad communication. So, like, yeah. not yeah. long titles on this one. And I think the thing about this song, too, is it doesn't really add anything to the story that we haven't already gotten from the other songs. Like, we already know this information. It's not like I feel like I'm really like, oh, yeah, this stands out to me because I can relate to it differently than the other songs on the album. It's just kind of an additional thing that kind of fits it, in d- with the album. But does, yeah. it end, uh, does it end a vinyl side? Oh, let me check. Like, it seems like it would end okay. the side on a vinyl. So, yes, it does. So side A is Fetal Devices, Too Much, and Age of Odds. Side B is I Walked, Now That I'm Older, Get Real, Get Right, and Bad Communication. Side C yep. is literally perfect. It's Vesuvius, All For Myself, and I Want To Be Well. Uh, side D is Impossible Soul. Apparently they moved some of Impossible Soul to the end of I Want To Be Well. That's what it's saying on the on the wiki page. Um, I think you're right, because I think that, I want to say side C of the vinyl ends with Pleasure Principle, um, which is the, okay. the the end of I Want to Be Well, which is the kind of acoustic-y soft oh, part the, of Oh, yeah, yeah, the end of uh, Impossible Soul there. Yeah, I think that's what part it is. Yeah, but, mm-hmm. which makes sense, because I think a vinyl side is limited to 22 minutes, and Impossible Soul is 25 minutes, so. Yeah, that checks out, yeah, and because otherwise he doesn't shift the album around at all. Um, which is amazing, but. like, some albums are just, like, structured in a way that you have to move around a lot of tracks for the vinyl releases. Yeah, it's weird. Well, I know that Carrie and Lowell, which is probably, well, I mean, based off of the Sufjan vinyl I own, it's definitely his shortest album, because it's only one record. Uh, <laughs> but he, he does move around one track. I think he pushes Eugene later in the album in order for it to kind of, like, fit on side A and side B. Uh, let's move on to Vesuvius, then. Colin says, is this song about wanting to die in a volcano because hard same? <laughs> <laughs> this is the song uh, about being young, dumb, and full of cum. Uh, this young, song slaps. Dumb and covered in not, ash. It doesn't slap, but like it's really good. It's yeah, like, yeah, I, no. I, I, w- I wouldn't call this one a slapper. It's probably yeah. at least a groover and possibly it's, a shaker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a got shaker. a kind of soulful feel. This song definitely, uh, it's it's a nice, it's an interesting change of pace because it's like, I mean, it, it's not entirely just soft and acoustic. It starts out that way and then it kind of builds up, but kind of just like a volcano eruption itself. Really good use of woodwinds on this track. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, very much so. Yeah, it's a really beautiful song. I think this is a lot of people's favorite track on the album. Um, and I understand why. It's It's really beautiful. I mean, he sings his uh, own name in it. That's good. 
It's good when he, he sings does. I love that. I love to hear him just be like, Sufjan. And people are like, wait, it's not Sufjan? Yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> like Sufjan, when they listen to Age the of Odds. Path, it leads to an article of imminent death. <laughs> uh, I love that one of our friends last uh, last year, our friend Rachel, they were like, wait, it's not Age of Ads? <laughs> I've been writing it wrong the entire time. And I'm like, you've heard the album before he says Age of Ads on the song. but uh, Which I also read that I guess that's part of Royal Robertson's work. Like he does a misspelling of the word odds, like O-D-D-S. And that's literally just what it is. It's just a misspelling of odds. So, Well, that'll do it. I didn't yeah. notice until the second time that I listened to this song again recently um, the point at which uh, the word Vesuvius kind of morphs into Sufion. Yeah. Because it's mm. Vesuvius, which turns into Sufion. Oh, yeah, I never like even the, noticed that. The yeah. specific way he's singing his own name, because it's just like, it's Sufion. But like, yeah. Yeah. going, Sufion, it's obviously to fit the meter of the word Vesuvius. <sighs> so he's yeah. like, the, he kind of morphs them together. Does yeah, he see clever. Does he see himself as a imminent volcano explosion is- <laughs> that could destroy all of those around him? This song is uh, Sufian's transformation fetish. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this he- is if, if Sufian wrote El Shive. Oh, God. <laughs> That's a reference for Dave and Dave alone. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I know what Algunashiv is, but I never read it. Uh, but He did that project in grade school where you make the volcano out of Play-Doh and pour vinegar and baking soda into it. And he except, was like, that's me. Except he made, he, made a, he made a clay mold of his own face on the front of the volcano, like that one heterosexual <laughs> volcano's Pixar short. Oh, my God. A mold of my own face. I'd wear that. Except for he made it gay, <laughs> <Shut> though. <up. laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, yeah. Uh, Neil reference, ding, ding. Yep. (laughs) This song, it hurts to listen to, though. You're just like, he's like begging for death in this song. He's just like, follow the, he literally says, follow the path that leads to an article of imminent death. Like, he wants to be consumed by these fires. It's, I mean, obviously it's a metaphor, but it's like... Jesus, we. <laughs> I understand. Like here, here's another one. Sufian, the panic inside, the murdering ghost that you cannot ignore. God, God. I mean, I, I went reading, flat on that last note, but still. <laughs> I was reading someone saying their interpretation of this was a little bit more religious, and saying like the ghost being more like you know the Holy Spirit and. I, the thing is, when I cannot think about the religious references in Sufjan's songs and think about them as other things, I tend to do that. Uh, yeah. Because usually it makes them gay, but, you know. I mean, if we're going to say anything, is that Sufjan is gay for Jesus. This is just a fact. I mean, it yes. is a fact. I mean, <laughs> to be close to you, but... Yeah, to be close to you, yes. I was looking at Sufjan's uh, last FM the other day being like, I'm really curious what his most played track of all time is. And it's uh, to be to be close to you. I feel like it ended up on a lot of just like um, a lot of it's older like, songs because of, yeah. you know, like just the sheer it's been out for so long. Because if yeah. you look at the last 365 days, it's like uh, mystery of love and, and shit that's newer. Yeah. But um, yep. yeah. Um, there's a lot of textural synth weirdness in the background of this song, which is another mm-hmm. thing that I feel like a lot of al- uh, albums that Pitchfork really loved were doing at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, like, uh, Yay Sayer did this all the time. 
uh, especially on the album Odd Blood. Yeah, which was 2009, so, like, uh, of the same age. Right. It's just, mm. you know, how much, how much, you know, random, seemingly random sound can we fit into this production and, like, just kind of add to this overall weird ambience. That's gonna be, that's uh-huh. gonna be just, like, me joining every local band and just bringing my Game Boy and being like, you want me to put <laughs> some bloop, you want me to put some bloops in this? <laughs> Yes, I do. I can load some, up Nano Loop right now. You want I'll some fucking it. beeps? You want some beeps? You want some boops? I do. I want beeps and boops. We all want beeps Honestly, and boops. Honestly, <laughs> I didn't realize how beepy and boopy this song got until I listened to it again last night because I always think of the song and I'm like, oh, it's so soft and just like it does build up, but you know, it's it's relatively acoustic. And then I listened to it last night and I'm like, it it really isn't. Like when you get later on in the song, like it's there's a lot going on musically, but I always just think of it as probably because it's one of the more it's one of the less complicated songs on the album, but mm-hmm. it's still got a lot going on. So it's, I, I just listened to the album on like a new pair of headphones instead of like the Bluetooth earbuds I've been listening to everything on for the past like two years. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I feel like a lot of the bloops kind of get lost out in the wash when you're listening to it on like a speaker system or on like earbuds or phone speakers or laptop speakers. Like, mm-hmm. there is a lot of just like lushness in the instrumentation that's really, that's kind of all over the place dynamically. So that when it gets mm-hmm. squished together, you kind of miss it. I feel like it's like that for a lot of the quieter tracks that just have like soft beeps. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, the song that I know is Stephanie's favorite from this album, uh, All For Myself. This is, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to call it my favorite. I'm going to call it my gaverite. Uh, <laughs> so, and, then Dave, uh, yeah. and then Dave's favorite can be the daverite. Yeah. Yes, exactly. That'll this, be another segment. <laughs> this song, like it fits in with the album, but I almost feel like, I almost feel like lyrically and like the emotion of this song is so in contrast to the rest of the album because so much of the album is just about this, this failed relationship, this, you know, being treated like shit, just, just, it's so depressing. And this song is so uplifting to me when you listen to it. It it seems so much happier than most of the rest of the album. I mean, aside from part four of Impossible Soul, it's, also, I've got to say, this song kind of reminds me of Frodo and Sam from Lord of the Rings. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a very powerful song, but it's just like the, when he says, like, you know, we set out once with folded shirts with hairy chests and while we rehearse, I want it all. I want it all for myself. Like, I just this is obviously I don't know, like the word choices he makes makes it so obviously not about a woman and yeah i mean i feel like that's true of most of this album it is true of most of this album but i feel like this song in particular just Mm -hmm. really it's that it's not a it's a song that's clearly not about women but it's also a song that's clearly like so intimate in the telling of the relationship Mm -hmm. like he says impressions of the unmade bed you cradled close to me close to my ear and he says i smell of you oh baby boy amazing you and it's just so like 
passionate. And I don't know. I yeah. listen to the song. And even if you don't listen to the lyrics, this song is, I find one of just like the instrumentally most powerful songs on the album. But I don't know. I listen to this song and I just lose it. It's so good. I like how the vocals are purposely like a tiny bit staggered behind the beat. Um, yes. It makes it seem kind of more heavy and labored and emotionally weighty. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's it's really well arranged. It sounds so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the flute in the background is really cool. Yes. The flute in the background mm-hmm. is cool whenever it comes up. I'm always just like, oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, got a, we got a flute up in this bitch? <laughs> we got a flute up in this bitch. It's so good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, I'm happy he saves the song for nearly the end of the album. And like I said, side C of this record is perfect. Like, oh, yeah. Vesuvius, All For Myself and I Want To Be Well put together is just like the most perfect slice of cake that you could give me. It's like getting a <laughs> slice of cake, but it's the one that has all the icing on it. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, the corner piece. Mm-hmm. Oh, Gotta love a good The big flower that they wasted half of the uh, the piping bag on. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh. <laughs> It's really good. <laughs> well, let's talk about I Want to Be Well Then. This one is my favorite. This is, I'm going to say, so I said earlier that, uh, fuck, what was the other one? I have like a top three songs on this album. It's Age of Odds, I Want to Be Well, and All for Myself. This is this is also one of my top songs on the album. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This one has more of the weird time signature thing going on. I think it's also in 7-8. Mm, and to you me, really... it's got kind of a, yeah. a, a new romantic, new wave feel. Like, it's... It's like frantic and anxious, almost like an Oingo Boingo song. I really like the way that the chorus like um, propel- propels itself forward because it's like, well, I want to be, well, I want to be. And then yes. he's singing the I'm not fucking around in like a oh. completely different meter than the background. Yeah. Uh, and just the um, way he says I'm not fucking around just. I think uh, I think Pitchfork counted the number of times he said I'm not fucking. Yeah, they said like at, at the very least sixteen times or something like yeah. that. Yeah, God, this song is very. I mean, shout out to everyone I know who has depression and anxiety. This song is this song is not fucking around at yeah, describing I mean, that. Yeah, I feel like he's also sound. doing uh, he's also doing a bit of channeling of uh, Royal Robertson on this one, just like yeah, something about severe mental illness and just really wanting to push through. Yeah, or really wanting to die. Yeah, yeah. he. My, the very first thing I wrote in my notes about this was Sufjan voice. All depressed people, raise your hands, because <laughs> like this is the song where you're like, this is. I mean, this clearly about having like coping with severe mental illness, but it's like this is a jam. This is a jam about like severe depression, and the way that this song goes hard, it makes you really feel like. I don't know, if you listen to the song when you're going through a bout of, like, pretty bad depression or anxiety, you, I don't know, it's empowering, I think, but. To me, it seemed like there, this was a song that I had to have the lyrics sheet open for, because Mm -hmm. it goes through them so fast, and 
it and the first couple of times I listened, it seemed like there wasn't enough time to process the words in the verses because it's yeah. con- like constantly just moving and going and going and moving on to some musical change that makes me forget what just happened. Yeah. Yeah, for get, sure. And then, like, the chorus is most of the song. Yeah. And I'm happy it is because the chorus is the best part of possibly this album. Yeah, like, just... well, that's, that's the part that you can say slaps. That slaps. Yeah, absolutely. I literally and, I literally yeah. messaged you when I was listening to it last night to say that it slaps. <laughs> oh, you did, yeah. And, like, the number of times we say to each other just, like, Sufjan voice, I'm not fucking around, is, yeah. like, I think it every single day of my life. <laughs> uh, I was I, bouncing at my desk at work listening to this one. Yeah. Yeah. I was mm-hmm. bouncing in my bed because I had gotten home at that point. Because this oh album God. is long. <laughs> I, I tried long. listening to my walk, listening to it on my walk home, and it's like I ran out of time because yeah, my walk home, <laughs> my walk home like, is just under an hour. Yeah, and it's like a seventy-five minute album. Yeah. So you listen to most of the album and then got to Impossible Soul. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, this is a really good place to. This is a really good place for the album to stop before Impossible Soul, I think, because it's really the buildup of everything he's been feeling this entire album. The entire album is like his insecurities, his anxiety, his everything that's eating away at him. And this is him being like reaching his breaking point and being like, fuck this. I'm so over feeling like shit all the time. Like he's basically like, either I'm going to die because of my misery or I'm going to fucking turn this around Be well. and yes because <laughs> yeah, he basically it. he earlier in the song he's basically just like i'm either gonna find peace or in death i'll sleep with ease and he yeah. basically said he even says at one point i would rather be dead than dealing with this illness that he's dealing with this and actually really works as a closing track <laughs> now that i think about it it really does it's like if, yeah. if you if the album ended the way that the that side c of the record ends that it would mm-hmm. be a perfect album still even though i do love impossible soul it would be just like it would be a 50 like a 53 minute album and that was like the perfect length for an album to be yeah that's a good length it's like it would work perfectly but Uh, it's like he didn't have to do it to us but he do but he do (laughs) he did do it to us uh Yeah, no, it's a it's a really good way to end side C at the very least. Yeah. So and every time, God, any time I go through a bout of anxiety, just like that mantra of just, well, I want to be well, I want to be well, just over and over, like it it is powerful. I don't know. Uh, let's talk about Impossible Soul then. We can do that. very last call-in comment which is are you supposed to pause after each track to reflect and cry yes you are (laughs) (laughs) and i'm happy that you feel that way it means you're a human not a robot do you have sometimes i'm not sure about him does the record have the movements of impossible soul written out separately um or is it just listed as impossible soul it's just listed as impossible soul. Let me actually just get the record out and see if it. Um, let me set the record straight. Yeah, because I'm trying to find a name of the movements because I know there's five. One of them is called Pleasure Principle. Yeah, um, which is a Gary best- Newman album. Yes. yes. Uh, no, it doesn't. Okay, because I, I I wanted to I wanted to kind of break the discussion down into the movements, but we could just do that without the names. No, we yeah. we can yeah we can because there's clearly five parts to this song to this. Uh, 
there's clearly five parts to the song, and I think only one of them has a name. Um, but that's fine. They're they're pretty distinct. So yeah. So the first movement has this repeated piano chord in the back, which mm-hmm. just kind of keeps going and going and going and really tying everything together. Mm-hmm. I love how this song starts. Like the second I hear the song starting, like those chords going, I just I'm like, oh good, I'm in for a good ride. Like this this is the length of a sitcom episode. <laughs> it is. It and almost counts was- as an album on its own. Oh god, it really does. I mean, it's the entire side of this I, record. But I know albums that are less than half the length of this. <laughs> yeah, right. I like I just, just like a good yeah. punk album. Like yeah. for example, uh-huh. Tom, Tommy and the Commies here is sixteen minutes long, and it is much shorter than this album, than and this single track. Yeah. yeah, sometimes it's like that, um, and sometimes an album that's sixteen minutes long is great. So, but in the case of Sufjan, Sufjan is like the only artist where I'm like please make it longer. Uh, <laughs> like I listen to All Delighted People and it's like 13 minutes long. And then I listen to the classic rock version, which is like 11 minutes long immediately after. And I'm like, this is really the best song you've yeah. ever made. <laughs> me, me listening to the album version of the song Emily by Joanna Newsom, and then immediately listening to like the three minutes longer live version of it. <laughs> like sometimes you just gotta. Sometimes you gotta is the thing. And okay, so this song starts out with when I said earlier he had some dramatic lyrics. This is really what I was talking about. Like he says, "Oh, women, tell me what you want, and I'll calm down without bleeding out." So <laughs> you're you're so full of emotion that you're dying about it because you're bleeding out. And to me, that's beautiful. <laughs> to me, to me, that's uh, what the kids call big mood. That's pussy, babe, and <laughs> pussy, uh, I love it. <laughs> We asked for this by getting a City Girls host on the show. <laughs> yeah, God, you really made a mistake by making me the first guest that you had. <laughs> we got we got uh, the pussy count, we got the cum count. This is a podcast. This Now this is podcasting. Oh, now, th- I mean, this is a noise space podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's yeah. working! <laughs> uh, I, guess, I feel like we should maybe talk about what he even the fuck means by impossible soul. He repeats it quite a bit, mostly just in the first part of the, uh, the song. This is like, I mean, several times in this album, he talks about how he's, it's like his anxieties about how he's unlovable, about how he's too much, about how he's, you know, how he's feels all this guilt about the things that he's done and all this just, I don't know. And he basically says, you're the lover of my impossible soul. This person loves him despite the fact that he feels like he is unlovable basically and mm-hmm. um or it's impossible to love him essentially and but at the same time this whole album is about this partner who clearly doesn't you know give him anything that he deserves in a relationship but he just really feels like he's that unlovable i guess and it, it's nice that it builds up to be this very positive this very positive anthem by the time we get to part four after he wallows in some more uh, after he wallows in his auto-tune for a bit yeah but <laughs> where yeah. he goes on a kanye monologue uh, i was gonna say is, did, so he, <laughs> did he do that do you think like completely independent of boney bear deciding to do that i feel like all of them did it independently of each other <laughs> Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, so. like, Sufjan and Bonnie Vare, like, I'm sure run in many of the same circles, but. Yeah. Um, they do, but I, I've never listened to Bonnie Vare, so. He put Bonnie, himself to I sleep. I mean, we're, <laughs> we're, we're going to have a Bonnie Vare album on here for sure. Yeah, oh, yeah. probably. One, mm-hmm. possibly two, because there's two within the era. Yes. 
Yeah, part one. Part one isn't very long. It's probably one of the shorter parts of the uh, of the whole song. And then it's also we have. He says that the lover says, all you want is the world for yourself. And my favorite part probably of this whole song is when he says, though I know it's small, I want love for us all. Like that part of the song always, I don't know, every time I hear it, it makes me smile. Um, but I also think it's kind of interesting looking back like just two songs about, ago that was like, I want it all for myself. And this person saying, all you want is the world for yourself. And he's like, no, that's not true. I want love for all of us. And I'm like, Sufjan, two songs ago, you said something different, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> They're coming with the fucking receipts. I have the receipts, Soof, and <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about part two. Okay. Don't be distracted. Don't be distracted. Do you want to be Is part two don't be distracted? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. We got Sharanova up on here. Yeah. yeah. Huh. She's just really uh, good. She does really good. I've never really listened to um, to her band, mm-hmm. which is My Brightest Diamond, but she does a have. lot of she does a lot of really good guest vocal turns. Like she did um, a cover of an Owen Palette song for one of his EPs, and of mm. course she does the backing vocals for this. And um, she's she's uh, recorded as guest vocalist with David Byrne with the Decemberists. Uh, like she's kind of she's she's a really good guest vocalist, is what I'm saying. I guess she's yeah. a label mate of Sufjan's, I think, on Asthmatic Kitty. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, I feel like she she must have been on uh, like other albums as well. Yeah. Oh yeah, she was. She was on Songs for Christmas. She was on The Avalanche. She was on Illinois. Um, wow, nice. <laughs> so, she, yeah, I, I imagine her and like Annie Clark were both doing vocals on Illinois because they were both on that yeah. tour as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And she gets several minutes of vocals kind of in a row before Sufjan even comes back in at all. Like, yeah. uh, you know, don't be, do you want to be afraid? Have you failed to feel delight? And, want to uh, be afraid? It's, it's like he's like haunting. <laughs> he's like my uh, my falsetto doesn't go that high. I need to get my friend Shara on here. <laughs> uh, it's really good, and yeah, his vocals don't come in again. Uh, his vocals come in eventually with him being like, "I don't want to feel pain." So, mm-hmm. <laughs> shout out back to I want to be well again. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. We this. Then we have an instrumental kind of- break. Yeah, there's an instrumental break before part three, and and this is the auto tune section, baby. Auto tune, baby. <laughs> Stupid man in the window. I couldn't be at rest. Oh my delight, all the matter. I couldn't be at rest from what I liked, from what I gathered. I couldn't. I love it. Sufjan you gotta St- all our voices for this part. <laughs> Sufjan Stevens, it. run away. <laughs> yep. Pretty much. Uh, yeah, the, I, what I really like about this section is like the entire time there's kind of that echo of the hold on kind of repeating in the background and eventually it gets louder to the, like the hold mm-hmm. on, Suf, hold on, Suf, hold on. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah, and that kind of builds into part four, right? Like, Yeah, it does. That, that's yeah. what builds into like the back and forth of, uh, yes. of part four. 
Mm-hmm. Which, of course, end... is, like, possibly yeah. the slappingest part on the album. Like, it, it's oh, a close yeah. rival to the chorus of I Want to Be Well. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. It's it's a really interesting how he can transition from this very, like, the very haunting auto-tune that he does, which is, haunting auto-tune seems kind of like a weird, uh, almost like an oxymoron, but, like, it's, it's, it was It was know, the Vogue, in, it was, was the Vogue in 2010. <laughs> yeah, it very was, and, you know, like, the auto-tune is very, like, him wrestling with his own self, and then, but the, the transition from part three into part four, mm-hmm. I don't think anything in the world makes me slam the nut button harder than the <laughs> one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. It's a long night. Better beat yourself. Put your face together. Better get it right. It's a long night. Better hit yourself. Put your face together. Better stand up straight. It's a long night. Only one last Yeah, there's something is about part four. <laughs> is part four a reference musically to the final countdown? God, I never da-na-na, thought of that. Da-na. But da-na-na, better pinch da-na. yourself. <laughs> okay, oh someone's got to make that mashup. Oh, I think it might be please. because he's done that. He does that also in the song "Christmas Unicorn," where he references the song "Love Will Tear Us Apart" by Joy Division. Mm-hmm. See, the thing is, um, that's another segment. What we're gonna have is someone's got to make that mashup, and oh, we just we yes. we send the clip of that section to Maxton, and he does something with it. I was gonna say we need some talented friends to come up and do this for us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I say us like as if I'm on this podcast more than one episode, but <laughs> uh, but we'll yeah, have for you this back someday. One day, one day. Uh, before we get into part four, I just like the whole part where he's kind of repeating like, it wasn't safe to breathe. I'm like, every time I hear it, it's just, uh, I don't know. I love that part so much. It, like, I don't know. Some people just really don't like this section of the song. Like, they're really against the autotune part. And I just, I love the sound it gets because like, he makes it sound like he is literally drowning by doing the auto-tune to me mm-hmm. and saying it wasn't safe to breathe. And I'm just like, I don't know. It works for me. And it's a great choice. So. Yeah. See, the thing is, um, we talk about music all the time, but we could do so much more together. Make a podcast, 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 podcast. <laughs> it's not so impossible. Uh, so last night at like one or two in the morning, you tweeted, it's not so impossible. Every single time I listen to this song, I want to tweet, it's not so impossible. <laughs> it's uh, a good fucking time. line. It is, it is. And he repeats it kind of ad nauseum. Yeah. But well, it's, it's like, it's one of those lines that like is a constant short list to be my Tumblr uh, page title. Cause yeah. it's, it's, it's been a, a, a new pornographer's lyric for like six years now. And oh. Sufjan is very close to, to, to overtaking it all the time. Yeah. No, for sure. This is, it's such a good, positive, powerful moment in this album because the whole album is so depressing. And this is just like the breakthrough that you have in spite of your illness and in spite of how miserable and critical you are of yourself. Just like Mm -hmm. it's what makes you keep going. And just like him being like, you know, it's a long life, you know, got to pinch yourself. Just him being like, there are positives. It's so good. Yeah, and there's still love to be felt. 
Uh, literally, like, um, it's it's very close to the final countdown, but not quite. But me right. just trying to sing, <laughs> I just tried to sing it, and I immediately went into the final countdown's like actual <laughs> actual note structure. Yep. Yeah. Because he goes da 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 da, and and and, is... and and the he like the uh, the final countdown declines, whereas Sufjan stays uh, level on that note. Yeah. And I was I, I was doing the final countdown. <laughs> <laughs> It's really good as the thing. And I, I think this is probably the longest section, the longest segment of Impossible Soul, largely because he, you know, repeats the it, it's not so impossible over and over and over again for so long. And like, you'd think that would get old, but it just never, ever does, especially with the music, just like the horns and everything. It's just, it's so positive and I love it. It's very good. I, I do love to, uh, it's it's where I almost wish that the impossible soul track was divided into five movements in like like physically in the mp3 files because sometimes I just want to put yeah. this one on yeah I know right and it's like well what am I gonna do skip to like 18 minutes into the song instead and, <laughs> and listen to it by itself <laughs> yes but only on the record where you have to physically place the needle you have to physically oh, slam the needle into section four of impossible soul that reminds me of, so I bought Sufjan's Christmas, uh, the songs for Christmas vinyl that he put out. And, uh, so one of the, tr- one of the albums or one of the sides of the records starts with Drummer Boy. And so, I mean, okay, so our <laughs> preface to everybody who's not friends with me or us, uh, our friend group does a thing called the Drummer Boy Challenge every year where, like, if you hear the Drummer Boy before Christmas, you You're lose out. the challenge. You're yeah. out. So one of one of the record sides starts with the little Drummer Boy. So I put on these records multiple times before Christmas, and every single time I had to physically lift the record, like, I had to lift <laughs> the needle and skip Drummer Boy, and I was so happy it was the first track on the, on the side, because I was like, if this was in the middle, I'd be so fucked. I couldn't even listen to this. <laughs> Yep. You wouldn't be able to do it. I wouldn't, so Yeah, one of one of the YouTubers I watch has Christmas content every year and uses uh an old um DOS game version of that song as the theme music for it. So nice. I have to skip all of his Christmas content while it's in season and listen to it in January. Oh my god. <laughs> well at least you know. Yep. Uh, Meanwhile, we were listening to we were listening on like a Apple Music or Spotify streaming thing when we were at Steph's parents' place for Christmas and we saw Drummer Boys coming up next and Steph conveniently timed a bathroom break. <laughs> yeah, I went to the bathroom and I stayed in there for like three minutes until it was over. Matt sends me a message and is like, it's done, you're safe. And I had to sit on the toilet with my like fingers in my ears. It was really bad. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> let's talk a- about uh, part five, Pleasure Principle. Uh, yes, let's do that. as a song on its own like which is i guess why they have it like that on the vinyl yeah no it it for sure works on its own it's i think it works better as an end to the album rather than the end to side c yeah well it's like it works as the end of side c if side d didn't exist right Mm. because it's a perfect bookend along with feudal devices because they're both like acoustic finger picking jams 
Yeah, yeah, I love the finger picking. It's it's uh, really beautiful instrumentally. And he goes back to his very soft vocals where we have no more of the kind of electronic stuff going on. Uh, and it's a really good bookend to the album just in general when he kind of finishes with that refrain of like, boy, we made such a mess together. Yeah. Which it's a pretty good summary of the album. Like, you sure did. <laughs> uh, yeah, boy, we can do much more together. Boy, we made such a mess together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's really good. And I feel like it's, it's also a nice bookend or it's a nice end because he kind of, he kind of brings up a lot of stuff that he's kind of said in the earlier songs. Like he says, I never meant to cause you pain. Uh, he says, he talks about his own self because a lot of the time he, he, in this album, he's kind of said that he feels guilty and he feels, uh, what was I going to say about this? Like he said, he, a lot of the time he, he kind of, in this song, he calls himself selfish and privileged. And mm-hmm. because what he wants is, you know, to be, well, the whole thing is, you know, the pleasure principle. All he wants is pleasure. Um, and it kind of just resonates with a lot of the stuff he said earlier in this album where he's kind of called himself selfish. But in the, in the earlier in the album, he calls himself selfish kind of like it's a bad thing. Like, mm-hmm. I feel selfish for leaving you. And now he's kind of saying it more like it's a positive. And I think that that resonates with me. The thing is, like, sometimes you have to think about yourself, and that's kind yeah. of a realization he seems to come to at the end of this, which is good. Yeah, yeah, it's really good, and uh, I really I like when he says, my burden is the weight of a feather, because <laughs> to me, that just kind of sounds like a sick burn. It's like, <laughs> I didn't mean to cause you pain, but I feel literally no burden over this. <laughs> that's uh, just him talking about how jacked he is. Uh, true, true. I mean, <laughs> yeah, he's a literal angel, so... Yep. But yeah, that is the end of the album. That's that is the Age, the of, Age Odds. of Odds. Eternal um, Living. Yeah. Um, so I think we already established what uh, Steph's favorite songs were. Um, mine, I think, after listening back to this a couple of times, is probably the title track, Age of Odds. Just because that's the one that got stuck in my head the most in the last couple of days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My, mine is still definitely I Want to Be Well. It's the one that gets most stuck in my head most frequently. And then like mm-hmm. closely followed by specifically part four of Impossible Soul. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Although like the whole of Impossible Soul is really good. I liked in 2010 when this album came out, I would I would say things by length of impos- number of Impossible Soul lessons. So like the average, <laughs> my, my university classes were two impo- two impossible soul lessons. My yeah. walk my walk to campus was one impossible soul. My walk to campus. God to go to the school I was failing out of. <laughs> well, that was a good anthem for for that particular scenario. Yeah, uh, I've I've thought about that in terms of like when I drive up to visit you because you so matt lives four hours north of me and so when i go up to visit it's like a you know it's a good drive so that's you know like eight impossible soul listens eight or nine impossible (laughs) soul listens (laughs) um so obviously the fact that this got best new music meant that it got incredibly hyped as an album um i think it lives up to it i I think Mm -hmm. it's a really solid album Oh yeah, no, for I sure. Agree. I feel mm-hmm. like it's gotten a lot more praise in the um, in the years since because people saw it yeah. as such a departure when it came out. It's just like it's a departure by the long winters. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say, <laughs> but <laughs> it's a new craze. <laughs> 
yeah, I mean, no, it, I agree. Because the thing is, is that it's familiar, but not too familiar. Yeah. But not too not familiar. <laughs> yep. Really and, right. uh, and I think, yeah, a lot of people really did grow this on this podcast. album. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's also like, um, I mean, if you're trying to think of what he's done since, like, he's kind of gone back to the more acoustic-y mm-hmm. stuff that he was doing, other yeah. than, like, his Christmas albums. He has a lot of cool electronic stuff on his Christmas albums. But yeah, also, like, so- he's also back to long breaks because it has been four years since Carrie and Lowell. Yeah, and Carrie and Lowell is clearly a very... I mean, clear- Carrie and Lowell is even... Like, I mean, you think of Michigan and you think of Seven Swans and Illinois as yeah. being, you know, acoustic albums. Or, well, they're they're not like electronic albums, but they're still, you know, albums that have big sweeping horn sections and like they're yeah. they're still very orchestral. And Carrie and Lowell is like extremely stripped down. And I mean, he recorded a lot of it in his apartment, did he not? Like, I believe so. Yeah, it's and I, don't get me wrong, it's a beautiful album, and it's like it was my favorite Sufjan album for a long time. But I gotta say, I think Age of Oz is objectively his best album to me. <laughs> Um, it's, it's, it's probably my favorite now. I, Mm -hmm. I was, I was a, a vocal Illinois fan, but I mean, that's the normie choice. It is his highest rated (laughs) album on Pitchfork. Yeah. Okay. Well, I gotta say, okay, so I'm in a, a couple Sufjan meme pages on Facebook because why else would I use Facebook other than to do Sufjan meme pages? I mean, obviously. Uh, and one of them had a recent, uh, multi-week album bracket challenge where they pitted all the albums against each other, like one by one. Yeah. And in the end, it was Age of Odds versus Illinois and Illinois won by less than 1%. Wow. So, also, yeah, I just fact checked myself. Uh, Carrie and Lowell actually got a higher score than Illinois. Carrie mm. and Lowell got 9.3. Illinois got 9.2. Interesting. Wow. That's I a personally score like right Carrie there. and Lowell better than Illinois, but I mean, I think the reason is because Carrie and Lowell, the very first time I listened to it, I absolutely fell in love with it. And it's a short enough album that you can just put it on repeat and just listen to every song like 50 times in a row. <laughs> but yeah. every album he has is so different and so great. So this one in particular, it makes me think of like when Wind Waker came out, which is also my favorite Zelda game. And people were like, <laughs> what the f- fuck is this like this looks like shit it's so different from everything else and God, imagine years, being imagine being that fucking wrong i know, I know years right? later people are like oh it turns out wind waker was good actually and i'm like i've been saying this the entire goddamn time <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah it's people don't know what's good for them so well on that note um thank you very much stephanie for having the most Sufjan opinions of anybody that I know. <laughs> Thank um, you so much for having me. I'm so excited I got to yell about this album because I love it so much. Uh, it was a good time. Yeah. <laughs> um, should we go ahead and do plugs? Yeah, that sounds good. All right. Uh, my name is David. Uh, you can find me on this podcast and also a podcast called The Stick, which I do with my good friend Eden, uh, which is also on the Noise Space Network. Uh, you can find this podcast at uh at tuning fork cast on twitter please follow um you can find me at at daves with three v's on twitter hi i'm matt uh i run this bitch it's uh noise space.xyz i've been very glad listening to all the americans who have podcasts on the network saying that they are legally obligated to say z instead of z um because i have decreed such <laughs> And that is where all the podcasts are. I'm on some of them. Most of them are inactive. There's Henry Kissinger's Pokemon Going to Die, which I have not actually been on in four months. 
because I've been toiling in the tax mines. Um, it goes like this, and then you just podcast. It just goes like this, and then you just podcast. <laughs> and I'm on Twitter at MattGCN, and uh, on Tumblr at Tremampoline. And you can pretty much find anywhere else I am and any podcast I'm on from looking there. And I'm Stephanie. I am also on the Noise Space Network. So I host a podcast called City Girls Make Do. It is a podcast about the show Sex in the City. It's a recap podcast I do with my very good friend Alex. Uh, it's a little bit cursed, but we go through week by week episode of uh, episodes of Sex in the City. Uh, we're like... We're like in season two, almost at the end of season two now. It's a really, uh, it's a really good time if you like to listen to people say to to listen to some good uh, bisexual women say some really cursed things. And uh, I, if you want to listen to that, you can go to noisebase.xyz. All the episodes are there. You can follow us on Twitter and Tumblr at City Girls Make Do. Um, you can also find me on Twitter at Age of Oddish. So I guess that's kind of uh, <laughs> relevant. That's to very this. appropriate. <laughs> It's very appropriate. Finally, everyone people, gets the pun. People only get know, the pun now. I know. A lot of people have been like, oh my god, I didn't really get that until now. And I'm like, well, I mean, <laughs> if you didn't know it was pronounced Age of Odds, then that also I makes can see sense, that, but, yeah. Uh, if you guys, but, and, yeah. yeah. And then you can find me on uh, Tumblr at Windfall Island. And that's pretty much everywhere you can follow me. If so. you want a particular episode of City Girls Make Do to listen to, I finally got to the episode that Alex's mom was on, uh, which is <laughs> See You Later, Masturbators. And yes. I highly recommend if you wanted to listen to just one episode of that podcast to get an idea of it, that's the one you got to go with. It's so fucking good. It's, it's a really fun episode. Alex's mom is an absolute delight. Alex is an absolute delight. She's right about everything. And uh, she might even be on this podcast eventually. So absolutely. Uh, yes. Keep listening. <laughs> this has uh, been Tuning Fork, the first episode. Um, thank you to Animal Style for the use of our theme song, Open Air, from the album Open Air. You can find all that music at nmlstyl.com. And uh, nice. as we always say, um, I had never seen a shooting star before. <laughs> See you later, everyone. <laughs> Bye.